Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, who who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. May God bless the reading of his word. So I was talking uh, recently with one of my uh, very close neighbor friends. Uh, I live in Cambridge. And uh, he sends his uh, very young son, he's about five years old, uh, to an immersion uh, school. Uh, it's a Chinese language immersion school in the city of Cambridge. Now, uh, if you're familiar with this area, you'll realize that this is about as politically liberal an environment as you'll find in the entire state of Massachusetts, which is already a pretty liberal place, right? So you've got uh, Chinese language uh, immersion curriculums, which is uh, fairly progressive, uh, and so it's attracted a uh, majority ethnic minority uh, population, both from a student standpoint uh, and also from the uh, teacher-faculty standpoint. Uh, and then to top it off, uh, you know, there's a reason why we call it uh, the People's Republic of Cambridge, uh, you know, affectionately. Uh, I was very surprised uh, the very first time I went to go vote uh, in the city of Cambridge, uh, you know, in a local election. Uh, there's not a single Republican on the ballot, and the Democrats are the conservatives uh, because they're competing against people from uh, the Green Rainbow Party and the Democratic Socialist Party and the Communist Party and so on. And, you know, the only question is, you know, how far to the left are you going to get as you go across this? So anyway, uh, my neighbor was telling me about uh, his son the day after uh, the presidential election uh, in November, uh, and he was taking his uh, little kid uh, to drop him off at the school. Uh, and so uh, you know, he'd gone to bed early the la- night before, so he hadn't learned about the election results yet. Uh, and so as he was dropping him off at school, he said, no, I just wanted to let you know, you know here's what happened uh, you know, with the election, uh, just because he didn't want him to be you know, in for a big shock you know, coming into his school. You know, he was uh, you know, aware that you know, people might not be so happy there. So uh, the kid nodded, uh, went off into class uh, with his dad, uh, and then as soon as he got into class, he ran away from his dad and he started jumping up and down really excited, yelling, Trump won, Trump won. And you can imagine just all the horror uh, and, you know, of all these parents who suddenly looked at, you know, my friend, uh, and my friend was so embarrassed uh, that, you know, all these people, uh, you know, within this particular environment was looking at him and thinking, how could you raise a kid like this? Uh, but, uh, no, just, uh, you know, to be fair to the kid, you know, it wasn't just because, you know, he had a political stake. You know, he would have been excited if Clinton had won and been jumping up and down. He was just excited that, hey, I've got some big news to share because something important happened that my dad just told me about. But, 
Now, if you take a look at this, all right, uh, now I think that, you know, whether it's with this particular election, uh, if you're happy with the results of this election, you certainly weren't happy with the results of the previous uh, government election. Uh, there's a lot of concern and there's a lot of questions just in terms of as we think about our political environment, um, how, you know, hostile it's become, uh, how toxic it's become. You now, what is the role of the church through all this? And as we think about ourselves as Christians, uh, you know, and all these things that are going on around us, you know, what should we as Christians do as we think about you know, how we relate to government, how we relate to the political process, especially around here in the U.S., and what do we do around here? So that's what I want to explore with you uh, this morning. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 13, uh, because this is a, a passage where Paul explicitly talks about you know, what we should do with our particular government. And he starts off with this you know, very basic you know, assumption. We should be submitting uh, to our government. Uh, and he builds out three different ideas around this um, idea of submission to our government. First off, he talks about you know, why should we submit. He talks about, well, what does it look like to submit? What does that mean for us? What should we do? And then he finally talks about what are the consequences of whether we do or whether we don't submit. Uh, and so it's a complex issue, so we're going to explore this and think through it a little bit. But turn with me to Romans 13. We're going to start to take a look at, first off, uh, you know, why is in the world is Paul writing this in the first place? And why should we you know, start to consider what he's saying? So if you take a look at Romans 13, uh, starting with verse 1, he says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And he starts to give three reasons why. And I'm going to skip through this. But if you take a look at uh, verse 1, the very first uh, reason that he gives is there is no authority except that which God has established. And so this is a very simple answer. First reason we should submit to the government is because, well, the government's here because God put the government in place and all their power, all the ruling authority comes from God. That's reason number one. Reason number two, if you jump down to halfway in verse two, those who do so, in other words, those who don't obey the government, will bring judgment on themselves. So the second reason that Paul says is, well, you've got to submit to the government because if you don't, uh, then the government's going to come after you. It's going to judge you. So that's very practical, right? It's you know, sort of self-intuitive. You know, if you break the law, there's consequences and punishment. Reason number three, if you jump down to verse five, uh, not only because of possible punishment, that's reason number two, third reason is because of conscience. Uh, in other words, you should submit yourself to the government because this is the right thing to do. So three simple reasons. You should submit to the government. This is the relationship we as Christians and we as the church should have with our government. Submit. First reason, because God put the government in place. Second reason, so that we can avoid judgment. Third reason, uh, and you know, this is because it's the right thing to do, because of conscience. So if you think about our environment, uh, no, and just all the things that are going on, uh, no, I think for most of us, this is probably not a very satisfying uh, set of reasons in terms of, well, why should we submit to the government and why in the world uh, is Paul writing this in the first place? But I think it's not just for us. Uh, this was probably even more so how uh, the audience that Paul was writing to when he first wrote this letter would have taken uh, this advice as well and this set of instructions. So when Paul was writing this, uh, the background behind uh, this letter to the Romans is, uh, you know, he was writing to the Christians uh, in the church, sorry, Christians in the church in the city of Rome. Uh, we know uh, from correlating with you know, other books in the Bible, this probably took place around AD 57 uh, during Paul's third missionary journey. Now, uh, 
when he was writing this in AD 57, uh, just a few years earlier, eight, uh, eight years earlier, uh, the emperor at the time, uh, this guy Claudius, uh, was in charge. Uh, and he had issued an edict forcibly removing all the Jews uh, from the city of Rome. And so all the Jews who were living in the city, uh, they were taken by force out of their homes, away from their friends, away from their neighbors, and exiled into other parts of the empire. Uh, and they were exiled uh, for several years until finally he passed another edict allowing them to return uh, back to the city of Rome. And this had huge, huge consequences on the church. Uh, so first off, uh, because this was the very early days of Christianity, uh, the church was majority Jewish uh, ethnically when it started in the city of Rome. But then as a result of all the Jews being forcibly removed from the city, uh, the church became suddenly 100% Gentile. No more Jews left. Everyone uh, was a Roman citizen, uh, was Gentile. Uh, and then a few years later, after the Jews were allowed to return, all of a sudden you had all these Jewish Christians starting to come back to a very, very different church environment. Uh, so the church was 100% Gentile. You had all these ethnically Jewish people returning to their church. And there was a lot of questions and conflicts over, you know, what is this church uh, supposed to believe in? Doctrinally, what matters if you're Jewish or if you're Christian? What matters in terms of these intersecting cultures as they're starting to suddenly be torn apart and mixed back together? And this is why uh, the book of Romans, if you read through it, it's got a lot of very fundamental theology, because Paul's answering a lot of very basic questions that the church was wrestling with at that time, because they'd gone through this huge, huge upheaval. But now if you think about this, right? Now, so this was not religious persecution. Uh, this was just you know, the emperor you know, issuing a malicious uh, edict against one particular ethnic group. We're going to forcibly remove you from your homes, from your friends, uh, from your neighbors. Uh, and then a few years later, I have a change of heart. I allow you to come back. Uh, and so this is the government, uh, you know, just a few years ago uh, that Paul's writing about uh, that uh, you know, these people have gone through this experience. And so when you read... What is Paul writing to these? You have to understand, this is the context. This is the political situation that they're writing to. So Paul's not just simply providing a bunch of platitudes in terms of, okay, we're going to obey the government because God put them in place and, you know, you're going to be punished and so on. God is speaking to them in this very, very difficult situation that they've gone through, through this horrific experience that they've uh, gone through within their church regarding their government and Paul's responding to their situation. Again, basic teaching regarding what do we do about all the stuff that's going on with this Jewish population being evicted and then coming back. And when you start to read this passage through those eyes and the eyes of the people here, you start to understand that Paul's not just giving you some really, really basic teaching, uh, but he's really trying to address a lot of the very deep-held concerns that these people have in terms of how should we be responding to the government and what in the world should we think about them. So let's go revisit those three ideas again. Now, the first thing that Paul says is submit yourself to the government, first of all, because you know, their authority comes from God. So he says in verse 1, uh, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And so what Paul is really saying to them is that it's okay for you to be subject to the government because ultimately God is the one who is in control. It's not that I want you to submit because I've empowered them and you've got to listen to me. It's the fact that you've already seen how terrible the government is and you have to understand that God is limiting the effect of the damage the government can do because he is ultimately the one in control. So submit yourself to the government uh, because God has instituted the authority, but God is also in control of the authority. Second reason, 
Those who do so will bring judgment on themselves in verse 2. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. And so, as we take a look at this, we understand that God is telling these people, yeah, I know that there's a lot of stuff going around that doesn't seem right to you. You know, you've just gone through this terrible experience, but you have to understand that ultimately, God is the one who is just. And if our government around us, it seems like this is not something that we're happy with, ultimately, it's God's vengeance and God's judgment that we see in this passage that is going to be executed. And so we can still have faith and we can still have trust that as things are going on horribly around us, God is still the one who is just and in control. And then finally, as we think about this reason, why should we do it? Because of conscience, because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It may not be the best thing to do, because obviously the things that are going around us are not very good situations, but it's the right thing to do. And so Paul's encouraging them with these three reasons. I know things are bad for you. God sees that too, but God is in control. So God is in control. What does that mean, and how does that start to affect uh, the way that uh, you know, these Roman Christians are supposed to respond to their government and actually live out their lives. And we'll take a look at what that means for us as we go on. But the second thing that Paul starts to talk about is, okay, given that this is what's going on, these are the things that are going to be important for you to do in terms of how you submit yourself and subject yourselves to the governing authorities. Again, three reasons. If we start in verse 1. This is just the basic thing. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And so, first off, We've got to put ourselves in a proper place and recognize that God has established this government above us, and we've got to submit ourselves. Now, what does that look like? If we go to verse 2, he starts to talk about, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. So the second thing that he says is, first off, do what is right, and he will commend you. Now, this is a little bit interesting, uh, I think, for us, uh, for a couple reasons. First off, you know, Paul actually cares what the government thinks about how these uh, Christians are living their lives. I think especially uh, within our demographic here and how we think about our government, we care very, very little in terms of what our government thinks about us. And we actually get to participate you know, through a democracy. Uh, for them, you know, they were an authoritarian government uh, system. Of a, Paul is saying, you should care about what your government thinks about you because this is going to be your witness to other people and to the government uh, in this particular situation. And so if you obey the law, if you do what is right, your government will have a positive opinion about you. He will commend you for doing what is right. Second of all, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. So the second reason is, you know, you've got to respect the laws that are around you, because if you don't, you're going to be living in fear. In other words, you guys have already gone through a terrible situation. You know, a lot of you have been forcibly removed from your homes and allowed to come back, not for religious persecution, uh, but through ethnic and cultural persecution. And you don't want to make a bad situation worse. God is saying it's okay for you to obey these laws because if you don't, you're going to live in even more fear than you've been going through. And God is encouraging them, I don't want you to make a bad situation worse. Go ahead and obey the law because otherwise you're going to be living in constant fear of possible punishment that's going to come your way. So that's the second reason. You know, we've got to be able to go through and obey the law because, A, we should actually care what the government thinks about us but also because Paul is encouraging them live in avoidance 
of fear. It's okay to go ahead and live in such a way in your current situation that you avoid as much fear as possible. And then the third thing he says, because of conscience. Well, what does that mean? Uh, And he lists four things that we're supposed to do. Really two big ideas listed in four ways. This is why you pay taxes. Uh, So first off, nobody likes to pay taxes. Uh, And then in verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And so this is really uh, two big ideas that he's talking about here in terms of what we're supposed to do. First, pay taxes and revenue. The other is, you know, give them the respect and authority. And this is really speaking to how we deal with the entire system of government. Because God has put in place government as his way of ruling the world. He's put in place this government because this is how he wants to affect the way that we relate to each other and how he wants to get stuff done. And the government needs two things in order for that to happen. First off, they need taxes and revenue because if they have no money, they can't go ahead and government, uh, govern. Second, they need their subjects to be able to you know, respect them because if uh, their subjects don't respect the government authority, the government can't function. And so this is why Paul says this is the right thing to do. You've got to respect the system of government that God has put in place and not try to undermine it because this is how God intends to be able to accomplish his will. So these are the uh, three areas in terms of what we're supposed to do in terms of how we submit to the government. First off, no, actually submit. Second off, uh, no, obey the law because, A, we should care what the government thinks about us, but also because we are free to try to avoid fear of punishment in a terrible situation. Third off, this is the system God has put in place. Don't try to undermine the system, because if you undermine the system, then God is not going to be able to accomplish the things that he's trying to in the world. And that's really how he sort of sums things up. So we talked about, you know, why, we talked about how, now we're going to talk about, you know, what happens, you know, wherefore, if you like Shakespearean English. Uh, But there's really three really simple consequences of, well, what happens if we don't uh, listen to Paul, and what's going to happen? And so the first reason he says, again, if we take a look at verse 2, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God instituted. So the first consequence, uh, if you rebel against your government, you're not just rebelling against your government, you're actually rebelling against God and what God has put in place. Second reason, if we take a look uh, in verses 2 through 5, uh, if we don't obey, then you're dealing with possible punishment. You know, verse 5a. Uh, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment. Final consequence, he says, no, this is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. So if we go ahead and we undermine the system that God has in place, then God's governing work is going to go undone. The things that God is trying to accomplish through the systems that he's put in place are not going to be accomplished, and this is what God is intending to do. So... We've talked about, you know, a lot of these things, and for a lot of us here, you know, I know that, you know, even if we go through these things, uh, there's still a lot of questions that we might have. You know, is this the only word of the Bible? You know, you know, Paul's given some reasons and, you know, some well-thought-out reasons in terms of even in a very difficult situation, are we just always supposed to 100% submit to government regardless of what's happening around uh, the world today? Uh, and I think if you read through the rest of the Bible, there are some possible exceptions. If you start to flesh out, well, what does the Bible also say in other parts in terms of how we should relate to government? So let's explore that together a little bit. 
So the first thing I want to reinforce before we start taking a look at some of these possible exceptions is that uh, a lot of people will read this, you know, uh, phrasing, you know, we should give uh, the government respect if he's due respect, you know, honor if he's due honor. Uh, this is not an exception to say that if I don't like my government, if I don't think they're worthy of the honor that I want to give them, I can just be free not to do it. Uh, the reason that Paul has established that their due respect and honor is because this is the system God has put in place. Their authority comes from God. It's like we have to respect the office of what they occupy, if we don't like, even if we don't like the actual rulers who are in place. So this is not a legitimate exception to say, well, I don't happen to respect the ruler in place, therefore I'm not going to follow what he says. But there are a couple other exceptions uh, that we can start to categorize through the text uh, in the rest of the Bible. So the first one uh, that I would submit to you uh, is one reason that we may not necessarily need to submit 100% to what the government says is if we have to make a choice between are we going to obey the government or are we going to avoid sin. So just a couple different examples here in the Bible. Uh, so you guys know the story of Daniel's in the lion's den, right? Uh, so this is something that we grew up learning in Sunday school. But uh, there was this uh, captive Daniel. He'd been taken into Babylon, uh, and he was put into the service of the king. Uh, and he actually rose uh, very high in the Babylonian Empire, and so he built up all these different enemies in the government who became very, very jealous of Daniel's power and Daniel's authority. And these people realized that if they wanted to undermine Daniel, the only way that they could do so was with respect to Daniel's faith in God. And so they got the king to pass a law that said, you know, anyone who worships anyone except for the king must be thrown in uh, to the lion's den and killed. And so Daniel, upon hearing this law, he continued his existing practice, praying uh, in his windowsill, in fact, three times a day to God and continuing to worship God. And so uh, God protected Daniel through that, and you know the story. You know, he rescued him from the lions and so on. Uh, but this is a very clear example where Daniel had to choose. Am I going to worship the king, or am I going to disregard the law, and am I going to continue to worship God? And we see that God blessed Daniel for disobeying the law, but honoring him as the ultimate king instead. Second uh, passage, and I'm going to read this for you, but this is from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13, if you want to turn to this with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers Fear God, honor the king. So if you take a look at this, uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote uh, to another church, uh, but he's using a very similar justification as Paul did in terms of why we should respect the government, why uh, they had to respect the king. But if you notice that Peter starts to couch his writing uh, in some different language than what Paul's doing. So he says you should do this for the Lord's sake. It is God's will that by doing good, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as servants of God, uh, love the brotherhood, fear God. And so again, Peter is saying that you should absolutely obey the government, but first off, you have to obey God. And if it comes to a choice between, am I going to sin because I have to disobey God directly against what he's commanded me, or am I going to obey the government, God trumps. Sorry, bad pun, I didn't mean that. Um, 
Now, let's think about practically uh, in terms of what that might look like, uh, because this is something uh, you know, that becomes a little bit easier to think through. So if we think about uh, you know, in history, uh, you know, a very clear example you know, in our contemporary society is you know, if you think about some of our fellow uh, Christians and maybe the Middle East or in China or North Korea uh, and so on, and where it is uh, absolutely restricted in terms of how and whether they're allowed to worship freely. Uh, in that case, you know, I think you know, we can see a parallel example with what's going on here in the Bible. They should absolutely worship God, absolutely obey God, despite the fact that they may face very severe consequences from the government. What's not an exception? Uh, so at the other end of the extreme, if we think about our contemporary U.S. political system, now I would submit to you, uh, just as an example, uh, that there are a lot of laws here in our country that we as Christians uh, don't uh, terribly like. Uh, so there are laws permitting all sorts of things that we know that God says you know, we shouldn't be doing. So laws permitting divorce, uh, you know, gay marriage has been a very, very big issue you know, uh, a few years ago. And these are laws where we can take a look at, uh, you know, is it okay uh, to do these things? Um, and if so, uh, can we sin or not sin? And in these sorts of cases, I think, well, we can obey God and we can avoid sin. Another example of an exception Defend the helpless. And we see this again in a couple of examples that I've just pointed out here. Uh, but the first example, again, coming back from the Old Testament, another Sunday school story. So you guys know the story of Queen Esther, right? One of the women heroes of the Bible. And she was a hero uh, because uh, she actually uh, uh, won a beauty contest and became the queen of the Persian Empire. Uh, and so she was married to the king uh, and, again, had political enemies and so was able to persuade the king to pass an edict that he was going to go ahead and kill all the Jews in the land. And so Queen Esther went and approached the king directly, even though it was illegal to approach the king because of a law that said, unless the king summons you into his presence, you cannot go into his court uh, upon punishment of death. And so she violated that law at risk her own uh, uh, personal safety to go and plead on behalf of her people that he might show mercy to the Jews. And so here we see a very clear example where you have a group of helpless people. They're about to be killed. And Queen Esther, unless she violates the law, um, these people are going to die. And so she goes and she pleads on behalf of these people and is able to save them. Another example uh, here in Jeremiah uh, chapter 5, uh, and I'm not going to read this, but this is again talking about the fact that there are a bunch of people who are helpless in the nation of Israel, including the orphans, uh, including the fatherless, including the widows, and so on. And God says, uh, you know, these people in Israel are not taking care of this class of people. And he concludes, should not I avenge myself on such a nation as this? And so we can see very clearly that when there are certain people who cannot help themselves and need saving, need advocating from another group of people, even at the expense of what is going on from a government standpoint, we see that God advocates, you've got to help these people. So another possible exception. So let's put this together uh, into our uh, different you know, current situation just to think about, okay, we've got this basic framework. We should submit ourselves to the government, except possibly, you know, in a couple instances. Uh, how should we start to reason through in all the different things that are going to come up? I don't know what's going to happen over the next two years, four years, eight years, and whatever. I do know that there's going to be a lot of challenging things that's going to cause each of us here to think about what should we do as Christians with regard to this political issue, with regard to this political issue. So these are some questions that I'm going to list for you to help us think through this. 
Now, before I uh, put these uh, sort of you know, questions before you, uh, one thing I also want to uh, just let you know is that uh, this is something we've actually been talking about at the leadership in the church uh, across the Board of Elders. Uh, we're currently in the process of drafting an official policy document that lays out these are the ways that we are a church uh, going to address different political issues and the processes that we're going to take place uh, at this church in terms of helping us decide with respect to what issue may come up what is our going to be our default response, and how do we start to address things that become complicated? And so you'll start to see this document come out you know, relatively soon uh, from us, but you know, a lot of it is going to be based on these fundamental tenets and even some of these guiding questions uh, that I'm going to uh, show you now. So it's a sneak preview in terms of just how are we starting to think about how do we wrestle with many of these very, very complicated questions and situations. First question uh, I would uh, suggest uh, is the way that we start thinking about this. How can I submit to the government uh, without sinning? Uh, and I intentionally phrase the question this way because our default response, as we see from Romans, as we see from Peter, is that we should be responsive and submitting to the government because of all these reasons that he explained. But sometimes there are uh, things uh, that are just going to cause us not to be able to do that. And what we should be trying to do is to first off try and figure out is there a way I can do both at the same time? How can I both submit to the government and how can I also avoid sin? So this is where I gave uh, you know, some of those examples, right? So uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, we've got these examples of people uh, in the Middle East or in some of these oppressive countries where you know, absolutely you're going to have to avoid sin uh, rather than obey the government. Uh, and you know, absolutely, uh, in some other cases, it's possible that there may be laws we don't like as Christians, but we don't have to because they're prescribing uh, permissive behavior rather than restricting us. We cannot like the laws, but it's not going to impinge on our behavior as Christians, and so we can live with it, even though we don't like it. In between that, the two ends of the extreme, there's going to be all sorts of thorny questions that we're going to wrestle with. But think about, is there a way that I can both submit to the government and also avoid sin? Again, um, how can I possibly submit to the government and also care for and defend people in need. Is there a way to do both? So again, just a couple concrete examples to show sort of two ends in the spectrum uh, where we can start to reason together between. Let's go back to World War II. Uh, this is a you know, classic thing that people always talk about. You know, there was an uh, unquestionably terrible thing that was going on uh, with you know, the killing of the six million Jews uh, over uh, by the Nazi empire and the Nazi regime. And so a lot of you will be familiar with a lot of the people who went and actively saved and tried their best to rescue a lot of these Jews away from the Nazi government. Uh, if you think about, for example, uh, Corrie ten Boom, uh, very famous for her book, uh, The Hiding Place. Uh, so she was a Christian woman in the Netherlands who was hiding Jews uh, in her own home uh, away from the Nazi government until she was finally caught and captured and sent to a concentration camp. Uh, here, I think there's absolutely no question, you know, this is parallel to a lot of the things that we see like in Esther and other parts of the Bible where you've got this uh, group of people who are in mortal danger. If we don't act, they're going to die. We have to intervene, even if it's at the expense of uh, disobeying the government. Let's pick another example on the other extreme, which may not be an exception. Uh, one of the things uh, that we enjoy here uh, within our political system uh, is that we get to give uh, to charities uh, tax-free, right? We get a tax deduction every time we give to a charitable organization. 
Uh, and as you know, uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, tax rewrites and proposed changes to the tax system that are going in place. And let's say that the government passed a law that said uh, we are going to tax exempt giving to all charities except religious organizations. That's something that would directly affect us, um, and it would hurt us, right? Because now all of a sudden, uh, no, there's no longer a tax exemption if we want to tithe, if we want to give to different Christian uh, you know, ministries that are helping the poor or you know, other parts around the world. What do we do in a situation like that? Now, I would suggest that in a situation like this where you know, the government is actively taking a position against a religious organization, that still it is possible for us to submit to the government. You know, okay, we won't apply for this tax exemption, but on the other hand, we are not free from our responsibility to help the poor, to help the needy. It comes at greater personal expense to us, but there's a way forward. We don't like it because it means that it costs us more than it would otherwise, but that's the price that we pay for finding a way to both submit to the government and also for responding to God's call to care for the needy and for the poor. And between that, there's going to be all sorts of open questions. You know, it's going to require a lot of wisdom. You know, as we wrestle with these questions together, a policy document will come out from the Board of Elders will help, but this is still going to be something that we're going to have to think through together. Finally, uh, if I can't, how do I obey God and the government? Now, we've got the benefit here uh, in the U.S. that we can actually advocate uh, for changes uh, and for things before they become policy. So what are some things that we might be able to do uh, to be able to uh, you know, do that and still give our government the respect and the honor that they deserve? So um, earlier uh, I explained to you that you know, Paul was writing uh, to uh, the Roman church uh, and they had just gone through this terrible situation uh, under the emperor Claudius because he had evicted and sent out all the Jews from the city of Rome. It wasn't a religious persecution, it was an ethnic persecution and it affected a, a percentage of the Christian church because there happened to be Jews in there, but it wasn't explicitly against the church. Uh, but Claudius was actually not the emperor at the time uh, when was, Paul was writing this. Uh, when Paul wrote this letter in AD 57, uh, Claudius had just died and the new emperor had just come into power. Uh, you guys probably have heard of him. His name is Nero. Um, and so uh, Paul wrote this in AD 57, and just seven years later, uh, there would be this great fire in Rome. Uh, many people accused Nero of actually setting the fire himself uh, in the city of Rome. Uh, but what is undeniable is that after this great fire in Rome, Nero began uh, the first great persecution across uh, you know, all the Christians uh, in the empire. And uh, if you take a look at this, he was capturing Christians, he was burning them alive uh, for being Christians, uh, and the apostles Peter and the apostles Paul were caught up uh, in the persecution that followed uh, from the great fire of AD 64, and both of them were actually martyred as a result of this. Uh, if you know the story of Peter, uh, Peter first off had to watch his wife be crucified, uh, and he was, uh, as she was dying, you know, historians record how Peter was watching his wife die, yelling at her, just encouraging her to be faithful to Jesus, even as uh, she drew her last breath. When she finally died and Peter saw her die, he was crucified himself upside down. And so this is the same Peter who wrote the passage, you know, that we read from, right? Uh, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And shortly after Peter was crucified upside down, Paul was also arrested and he was beheaded by his government. And so the same Paul who was beheaded by his government, this is the one that we read him writing here 
Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And so you think about, you know, as Paul was writing these words, as Peter was writing these words, the government has done these terrible things. The government is about to do some even more terrible things directly to us. It's going to cost us our own lives. But in the midst of that, it's okay, because the government's authority comes from God, and God is in control. It's okay, because God is just. Don't live in fear. Don't make a bad situation worse. God is just, and he'll take care of things in the end. And finally, obey the government because it's the right thing to do. It's not the best thing to do. We certainly don't like what's going to happen to us, but it's the right thing to do. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, just for your word to us. We do thank you, first of all, for our governments. Uh, We do pray for our government here in the U.S. and for all the governments around the world.